Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, young ladies, if you did not know this yet, this is a leap year, which means you can propose. You did not know that? Fellas, beware. I was watching the Dean of Men during the opening exercise, and he was standing back there. He kind of looked like Peter Pan. And uh, I think he was watching for those who were falling asleep already. I was wondering why they asked me to speak today, and I think I know the reason why. I'm pretty short-winded, and that gives you more time to study. Amen? <laughs> How many of you have prayed for the rapture today? We did. When we faced final and midterm exams, we could hardly wait to, for the Lord to come. Although probably some of you young ladies are praying for your spouse, but um, you can get your MRS degree. Uh, my wife got hers, and uh, she's very thankful for that. The only class I really hated to take finals in, and I don't know where the English teacher is, but uh, uh, I hated to take English. I thought, why should I take English as a college student? I'm going to be a preacher. And the teacher kept saying, that's why. In the book of Luke chapter 16, we have an interesting story. If you turn there, and we'll start with verse number 10, and I'm going to read down through verse 15. 15 is our text. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? If ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is in your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And the Pharisees also were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him. That means they stuck their nose up at him. And verses 15 is our text. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men. But here's the, here's the part we want to look at. But God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Father, I pray this morning that every heart that's here would examine itself, that you would examine our hearts. Even as David prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. And Lord, I pray that each one would have a heart that's right with you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a common thing that's known that uh, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? As I look at your faces this morning and look at the, the people out here, I cannot see your heart. I don't know what's going on inside your heart. But I have a question I'd like to ask you. How many of you are connected or come from West Virginia? How many of you come from West Virginia? Okay. You want to mark these people because they eat groundhog. <laughs> I was forced to eat groundhog by some of our church members. Never thought I'd ever eat a groundhog, but I guess they're vegetarian. And uh, they deep-fried this, this ugly-looking animal. And I thought, well, if I'm going to eat it, I'm going to take the big hind leg, and I'm going to just take it, and I'm going to really start eating it. Tastes like shoe leather. <laughs> but my wife, she loves all kinds of food, and so she decided to take the rest of the groundhog home. Stuck it in the refrigerator. The next morning, we pulled it out, and guess what? That groundhog had grown new hair. So that was the last of the groundhog I've ever had to eat. So be careful. <laughs> If you're thinking about marrying a West Virginian, be careful, okay? Check them out. Make sure that they don't eat groundhog. That's just a little bit of advice from me. 
In verse 15, Jesus says something that's so important that every one of us need to take and pay attention to. Look at verse 15, if you would, in your Bibles. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your heart, for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. We want to look at this uh, verse in the context. There's three thoughts right there in that verse that we need to pay attention to and that we need to know. First of all, you are the ones that justify yourselves in, in front of others. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were mocking Jesus. As a matter of fact, they, in verse 14, they derided him, which means they looked down upon him or lifted up their nose at him. They didn't like the things he was saying. Secondly, he says, but God knows your heart. And everyone in this room this morning, I can't make eye contact with every one of you, but I want you to know that God does. And God knows your heart. You could be uh, one of the, uh, a senior or a freshman or anything in between, a college professor, a parent, but God knows our hearts. And this is one of the most humbling experiences I've ever had as a pastor to preach in a chapel of Christian students, godly professors. But no, I know this, that God knows our hearts. While I was in Bible college, I had a good friend named Bruce, and he was dating a girl named Holly. And they, after one year of college, decided to go get married. He became one of those famous Walmart managers, you know. And uh, I lost track of Bruce, although I was, he got married in uh, Kankakee, Illinois. I was one of his ushers in his wedding, but I'd lost track of him until I took a church in Ottawa, Illinois. And there I saw uh, in the Ottawa, I saw his name on a plaque, and it said Bruce Ripito. I know it sounds like an unusual name. It's no, not much different than some of the other names you folks have, like Bonnell and things like that. <laughs> By the way, I've got three cards I'm going to be rolling for you to pray on, Okay. <laughs> But Bruce was uh, the manager of our local Walmart. So during college, uh, we each had a nickname for each other. Back in those days, I would shout and beat my hand against the pulpit, broke two pulpits, and, uh, and he called me Jack Hiles Jr. back then. <laughs> Serious, this is the truth. And I called him John R. Rice. Now, you folks probably don't even know either one of those fellows. So I called him on the phone, got his number from that plaque, and I said, is this John R. Rice? And he said, pardon me? And I said, is this John R. Rice? He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, well, this is Jack House Jr. And he didn't know what I was talking about. And finally I said, no, this is Bob Reese, and uh, you and I were in college together. And the next thing I know, Bruce and Holly and their three teenagers start coming to our church. And Bruce became our song leader. Holly became our piano player. And the three teenagers were in our youth group. And I preached a message, something similar to this, about God knows your heart. Actually, I wasn't supposed to preach that night. My brother Gary was traveling down from Chicago, and he was late, as usual. And um, so I ran to my office and got a message as quick as I could. And uh, I preached just something similar, but not the exact. But uh, God knows your heart. Well, after the sermon was over, Gary, Gary arrived about towards invitation, and um, service was over, and uh, we all said goodbye. Then the next day, I get a phone call from Bruce. He said, I'd like to talk to you about something you said in your message yesterday. I thought, oh, what did I say? You know, did I, did I embarrass him? Did I say something 
you know, that I shouldn't like that. When I embarrass Brother Bonnell, you know, uh, did I do something like that? And so I went over to his house that night, lived in a very plush house. He had a full-size stuffed black bear in his front living room. What a greeting. You walk in there, and there's this giant black bear standing there with his claws like this, you know. So I sat down and talked with Bruce for a bit, and uh, he said, Holly's picking up my kids. I want to wait until Holly gets here. So we're sitting there looking around the living room. He's got all kinds of mounts of deer and elk and things that he's shot, and a moose and that big bear. And then Holly comes in. The three kids stay in the uh, other room, and Bruce says something to me that just really shocked me. He said, Pastor, he said, I'm not really saved. Now, Bruce grew up in Kankakee, Illinois. No, he grew up in Morris, Illinois. His wife was from Kankakee. And he, had a, he went to Christian school all of his life. He went to Bible college. We were together in classes. And uh, he'd been, uh, had a Christian home. They, they went to church. But Bruce said, Pastor, I'm not saved. I was shocked. You should have seen his wife's face. I mean, she dropped her mouth open like, I can't believe it. When her husband acknowledges he's not saved. They've been married for uh, several years, almost 20 years, and uh, he says, I'm not saved. He begins to share a little bit about what he, some of the temptations he fell into and some of the things that happened to him. And so right then and there, I led Bruce to the Lord. In the meantime, I'd called my head deacon. His name was Rick Roth, and... Um, called him to come over and because I didn't know what Bruce was going to say about my message and I thought I need to have a state trooper with me in case you know it's something really bad and uh, as soon as Rick wa walks in he's like six foot three or four and huge a huge fellow especially with, a, with that vest on and I said Bruce has got something he wants to tell you and Bruce said I just got saved well Rick bent down and gave him a big old hug and Everybody was excited. The whole church was just, I mean, we didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to do. Here was Bruce. He was the song leader. He was the church trustee. And he said, I'm not saved. Grew up in a Christian home, went to Christian, all the way through Christian school. And he wasn't saved. Well, that next Wednesday came and everybody was rejoicing because of uh, Bruce trusting the Lord. But you should have seen Holly. Holly looked like she'd been run through a ringer. You don't know what a ringer is, do you? Looked like she had uh, been in a, a grinder. How about a cuisine art? Okay, that's more. She looked horrible. She looked miserable. She was t had tears running down her eyes. The next day was ladies' visitation. She came to ladies' visitation, as she always did. But she was miserable, very unhappy. And my wife took her aside and, and uh, shared some scriptures with her. And Heidi, Heidi, or Holly took those scriptures home and receive Jesus Christ as her Savior. So if you can imagine what it was like in our church the following Sunday, here's our trustee, our song leader, our piano player, have both got saved. And it really, it made us really think. Here, I, when, I, when I questioned somebody about joining uh, the church, I asked their salvation testimony. And both Holly and Bruce had given testimony that they were saved. But God knew their heart. And God knows your heart today. Now, I'm not here to preach to you about getting saved. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you are saved. And you can never lose that salvation.
I'd like to apply this passage of Scripture, if I can, to the Christians here today. Those of you who know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You see, these religious people that Jesus was speaking to were very religious. They knew a lot of the Old Testament, had it memorized. They, they, but they were putting all their trust in their power and their money and their popularity. They despised what Jesus said, that God knew their heart. And my friend this morning, I want you to know this, that God knows your heart. He knows my heart. No matter who you are, no matter how well you can hide it, no matter what your name is, whether you're related to the faculty or whether you're, you're a, you're, your dad's a preacher, it doesn't matter. God knows your heart, and you cannot hide it from him. Now, I've heard of open-heart surgery, haven't you? The Holy Spirit can do open-heart surgery in a spiritual matter. And maybe the Holy Spirit today is waiting for you to say, okay, you have my permission. I'll let you do open-heart surgery on me. There are four thoughts if you're going to take notes this morning about God knowing our heart. Number one, God knows our hearts with respect to our faithfulness. You know as well as I do that faithfulness is required of stewards. And one of the things we'll stand before the Lord someday is the fact that we're going to give an account for our faithfulness. You know, are you faithful in school? Do you apply yourself? Do you study? Are you faithful in home? Are you a good testimony? You know, sometimes faithfulness is set by the wayside when we're busy studying for the ministry. But God still expects us to be faithful. You know, I think one of the greatest uh, things I appreciate about Ambassador is that many of you go out on visitation. We have a Wednesday night visitation. We have a Sunday, uh, Wednesday afternoon visitation and a Sunday or Saturday visitation. And uh, so many of you come. And I'm so thankful to see that. that. I remember in college when we were there, we had to witness the three people a week and turn in a report of what happened. And I thought that was great. I came out of the Catholic Church and to get a grade, to witness to somebody, I thought that was, wow, that was great. It was called personal evangelism class back then. And I remember enjoying going downtown, Watertown, and witnessing to people and telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I had the privilege of leading seven people to the Christ my freshman year in college. Now, I know what you're thinking, but Pastor, that's Wisconsin. Everybody in North Carolina and South Carolina, they're all saved. Well, that's a lie of the devil. Okay, been down here 25 years, and uh, not everybody's saved. There's a lot of lost people here. We have a lot of people coming in from other countries, and, and a lot of people that are moving into this area that have never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Just this last week, a couple of the college students turned in a paper to me saying that there were two that they had run into on visitation that weren't saved, but they were interested. I had a man just the other day that uh, uh, sent me a letter, said, I want to know more about God. I wanna, uh, he went out and bought a Bible, and he wanted to know more about God. So faithfulness, are you faithful at witnessing? You know, some of you may be using this chapel session as your devotions. I know students who did that. They didn't read the Bible during, the, during private time or devotion time. They would let chapel be their devotion time, and that's wrong. You need to have a personal time where you get along with God and read your Bible and pray to Him. Number two, God knows your hearts with regard to your ambition. I believe every Christian comes to a place in their life where they have to make a decision, 
Am I going to live for money? Am I going to try to make all that I can make? Or am I going to serve God and, and live on whatever God provides? My parents taught me just the opposite of what I said. They wanted me to make as much money as I possibly could. They had, they had great hopes of me becoming a doctor. And, uh, or they, she, my mom wanted somebody in the house, in the, our five boys, to be a doctor, somebody to be a lawyer, and she didn't care about the rest of the three. But uh, as long as one of us was a doctor and one was a lawyer, she thought she had us covered. Now, we wanted 11 boys so we could play football. But she didn't like that. So we had to stick with the basketball team. We had five. But God knows your heart concerning your ambitions. You know, when you start to date somebody or you start to like somebody, you should find out what their ambitions are. I've met a number of students who felt called to the mission field, had a definite call. They came and they even testified to the fact, God's called me to be a missionary. And yet during that time, they fall in love and they find somebody that's called to be a pastor. And there's nothing wrong with being a pastor and there's nothing wrong with being a missionary. But you need to know what your ambitions are. You need to know what God's called you to do. I was thankful when I was a sophomore in college, there was a young lady named Judy. And uh, I thought she was cute and, and she was talented. She could, she could um, um, talk with a ventriloquist dummy. And I thought, that, well, that's a real skill, you know. And uh, I asked her out for a date. And she said, well, first of all, tell me what you're going to be. And I said, I'm going to be a pastor. And she said, I'd love to go out on a date with you, but I'm going to be a missionary, and so I don't think it would be right for me to date you. And I understood that. She had a different ambition than I did. While I was in college, I got to travel uh, to different uh, countries. I got to travel on every Bible time, all over the United States, and preach as an evangelist. But still in my heart, I knew that God had called me to be a pastor. My freshman year, I, I testified to 40 students in my dorm we had one big room. It was 40 students. We called it the barracks. It smelled like one, too. And uh, we, uh, I testified, I, I'm going to be a pastor. And most of my roommates, seniors and juniors, said, ah, you don't know that. One of my best friends uh, said, you don't know you're going to be a pastor. I said, yes, I do. And uh, God has always kept me in the pastorate, even though I've been invited to come to foreign countries and, and serve and uh, travels an evangelist, but God's given me a heart for the pastorate. And so if you did heart surgery on me today, you'd see spiritual heart surgery, you'd see a pastor's heart. If the Holy Spirit did spiritual surgery on you today, what kind of heart would he see? Is it a heart that's faithful? Is it a heart that's worth, uh, that has worthy ambitions? Number three, God knows our hearts with, with the sincerity of our salvation. You know, one of the things that I have found having a Christian home, we're the first Christian home in our family. My wife and I established the very first Christian home. And so from the very beginning, I have three children, and from the very beginning, we prayed for their salvation. Uh, they came to church, Sunday school, morning service, evening service, all, to all the special meetings, and we were praying for, their, for them to be saved. All three of our children made salvation decisions when they were five or six. And I baptized them. They, they were sure they were saved, they, and I baptized them. But when they became teenagers, all of a sudden God got a hold of their heart, and they realized they really weren't saved. They just did what mom and dad were praying for. They wanted to please mom and dad. And so um, they got saved, genuinely saved. 
And God knows the sincerity of your salvation. You know, a pastor friend of mine, Pastor Lee Crockett, used to say, you're, you're once saved, always saved, if you're really saved. And God knows your heart today if you're really saved. One last thought. God knows your heart concerning your relationships. In verses 16 and 17, it says in verse 16, or 17, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. Whosoever puts away his wife and marrieth another. Am I reading the wrong chapter? Nope, I'm not. It's the right chapter. And whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. It's talking about relationships. And God knows your heart concerning your relationships. How is your relationship with your mother and father? Now, I know my mom and dad were not, not pleased, not happy that I went to uh, Bible college. Their goal for me was to work at Caterpillar as a draftsman or go into the military. Neither one are bad, but that's not what God called me to do. And so I went to Bible college, and I went through the draft of the Vietnam War because I was not afraid that, uh, that to go to war if that's what God wanted me to do. What kind of relationships do you have with each other? Have you got one of those roommates that's hard to get along with? I had one. He was from Wyoming. I don't know if you have any Wyoming uh, people here. But in the middle of Wisconsin, it's very cold in the wintertime. At 5 o'clock in the morning, Steve would jump out of his bed, top bunk, land hard on the, on, the, on the floor, throw open the window in Wisconsin. It was below zero. The floor was steaming. I mean, you could hardly stand to, to step on that tile floor. We wanted to get Steve out of our room as soon as possible. <laughs> that was just his way. He was used to sleeping in the cold. He was used to having the windows open in the cold. And uh, I was from Illinois, and I wasn't used to that. Some of my roommates were from Georgia, and they really weren't used to that. <laughs> How about res with respect to the law? What's your relationship to the law? Is it obedience? And finally... Power, the power of the gospel, or what I would call the filling of the Holy Spirit. What's your relationship to the Holy Spirit this morning? Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. Is that your relationship with God? Is that your heart today? Do you desire to be filled with the Spirit of God? Are you filled with God's Spirit? Let's bow our heads in prayer.